Welcome everyone. I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana. And we're here at 318 Latino Studios for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. And can't wait to have today's discussion. Our guest today is Barbara Joseph. Barbara, thanks great for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. Of course. Well, um, to tell folks about you, you, you are, uh, among other things, you're the executive director of the North Louisiana Jewish Federation. Yes. Uh, I want to get into the Federation and all that they do locally, but before we do, I'd like to start here today. Um, we've talked quite a bit on this podcast about how to do better creating and accepting a multi-ethnic Shreveport. So let's talk about being Jewish in Shreveport, Bossier. Uh, my first question for you is simply, approximately how many Jewish families do we have here locally? I wish I had a definitive answer to that. Um, the estimate for people is about 400, or up till recently that had been the estimate. Um, but those are, I think, people that are easily counted because they've identified um, with a synagogue or the Federation or another entity, um, there's been more recent estimates that it could be closer to 1,500 or 2,000. Families? Um, individuals. Okay. Individuals. Okay. So, I mean, we may be population, Shreveport, Bossier, let's just say approximately 300,000, so still a very, very, very small percentage. Still a very small percentage, um, but because there's such a range of of ways you can identify with being Jewish, I think um, th that number, that's partly why that number is bigger than we thought before. And I mean, I'm not going to, I don't know, and we don't have to know stats, but I will say, you know, and you can just say, I think you're right, or I don't think you're right. Um, I think when, uh, just for full disclosure, I'm Jewish, I grew up Jewish, um, I feel like the Jewish population was larger when you and I were younger and it, it, it it's smaller today. Is that inaccurate? It feels that way. And it's, there's probably, that's probably accurate. It, there's definitely a smaller number that are actively involved okay. with Jewish activities. Okay. And just, um, for people out there going, I don't even know any Jewish people, or I really don't know anything about the Jewish population here in our community. Tell me if you could a little bit about how many synagogues we have, um, where one could find them, mm -hmm. and uh, when when those synagogues host services, and when they host religious school. Sure. So there's two synagogues in Shreveport, and actually from the North Louisiana Jewish Federation perspective, we also include Monroe. So I'll just note that there's Please. a synagogue in Monroe as well. And what's um, it called? It's Monroe? called B'nai Israel, okay. and it's associated with the reform movement. Uh, B'nai Zion in Shreveport is associated with the reform movement, and Agudath Achim is a conservative synagogue. And that doesn't refer to politically conservative, it's just the, the branch of Judaism. Um, so both synagogues in town have a Friday night service. The, the Jewish Sabbath starts on Friday night and is the whole day of Saturday, and then Agudath Achim has a Saturday in-person service. B'nai Zion offers a Torah study and service online okay. on Saturdays. Okay, and Orient folks, uh, just in terms of where they can be found, those those two synagogues locally. Geographically? Yeah. So B'nai Zion is on Southfield, not far from Uri, and Agudath Achim is off of Uri, a um, little further south, south of LSUS in the town south neighborhood. Okay. And, and both have websites, so... 
information's there. People can call and find out more. And for people that don't know anything, like what does that mean, reform? What does that mean, conservative? Do you mind Not giving kind of a quick definition um, just so people can better understand the different segments of Judaism? Sure. Um, there's, there's, um, there's more than just those two. Um, and if I give you three, I can kind of present it as a spectrum. So Orthodox is... Um, sort of on the end where it's very much more traditional. Um, so a lot of adherence to um, halakha, like the laws of Judaism. So um, not using electricity on Shabbat might be an example, or observing the laws of keeping kosher, maybe even having separate dishes, um, maybe keeping your head covered all the time. So, so that's sort of one end in terms of observance. And then on the other end is um, the reform movement, which has, um, which evolved in the United States and is um, more, um, I think, focused on social justice. Um, there's adherence to certain prayers and rituals, but also very much about integrating with um, other aspects of society. And then conservative Judaism is, is sort of in the middle um, there's some traditional um, uh, adherence, uh, maybe a little more Hebrew in their service than the Reform, um, but not as strict in some ways as Orthodox. And probably, is this fair, probably locally the largest Jewish population is the Reform and then Conservative and then Orthodox, probably in that order? Um, well, there's, there's no Orthodox synagogue here, but there are more members at B'nai Zion, which is Reform than Agudath Achim, which is conservative. Um, I've heard sort of nationally, the largest numbers are on both ends. So there's um, sort of large amount of reform, large amount of more traditional. Uh, Chabad is another one on that end that's more traditional. Um, fewer in the middle, okay. which is interesting. Yeah. You, you'd kind of think it would be more of like a bell curve, but, but that's, that doesn't seem to be the case. And I grew up going to B'nai Zion. You grew up going to Agudath Achim. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so let's focus on the Federation for a second. The North Louisiana Jewish Federation protects and enhances the well-being of Jews and Jewish communities in North Louisiana, the United States, Israel, and around the world, striving to realize its core values. And I meant to ask you just to correct me again on the pronoun. Hesed, 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 uh, which means caring and compassion, Torah, or Jewish learning, tikkun olam, which uh, means repair of the world, and tzedakah, which means social justice. As everyone knows, on October 7th, 2023, Israel suffered the deadliest attack on its country since the country was first established in 1948. My question for you is, if you could, tell me about the current status of Israel, and for people listening today, what should they understand about what's going on there, and how can they possibly be of help? Um, the situation in Israel defies a, a simple explanation. Um, the, and I think we in this country can't fully understand what they've experienced and, and are still experiencing. Um, that day of October 7th, it's been compared to 9-11 because it was a surprise, because innocent people were killed, um, and it was viewed as an act of war. 
It's been compared to Katrina in terms of the government's maybe failure of preventing it and responding adequately to the citizens. Um, but 1,200 people were killed. Over 300 were taken hostage. There's 136 still in captivity. Uh, and that's for 117 days now. Entire communities were burned to the ground. Many people are living in hotels or otherwise evacuated from their homes, not sure when they'll be able to return or if they'll return. Um, and a reality of life in Israel for, for decades has been that there's bomb shelters everywhere. You know, apartment buildings have them, all major buildings have them, and, and there's, there's almost a routine of it. You hear the siren, you go to the bomb shelter. And so that's happening with more frequency. Uh, the trauma is really fresh, um, and it will probably exist for generations. Um, I think right now Israel's government is more right-wing than it's been in a long time. Um, there was a lot of protests last summer, and um, uh, the kind of things happening in their democracy and things about judicial reform. Um, some people have said that attack happened partly because the country was so distracted. Um, and I think from our perspective, um, you know, growing up Jewish, we know we have this connection to this place some more than others. Um, and it's hard from afar to, to know what to do to support when there's things you see that you disagree with. Um, I think you and I actually spoke about that uh, before October 7th at one point of, you know, not really being sure how to feel about what's happening in Israel, but feeling like we need to feel something. Um, but what, when that attack happened, um, it's affected everything. There's reservists that have been called up to fight, so universities are not the same, families are not the same, the labor force isn't the same. Um, there was an Israeli journalist that came to Shreveport in, in November and said, you can't ask somebody, are you, are, are you okay? Because um, the answer's not going to be. It's, it's more like, um, is everyone in your immediate circle okay? Um, because outside the immediate circle, everybody knows somebody that's, that's not doing well. Um, so there's, there's, it's a really deep rooted, there's so many deep rooted problems that led to what happened on October 7th. And there's two peoples, both with a deep history of oppression who both need safety and autonomy and have a valid claim to this tiny piece of land that's. Um, that you're referring to is Israel. And it, it, the situation doesn't fit neatly into um, oppressor and victim or hero and villain. Um, again, it's hard for, I think, us to understand because many of the choices that the people there and the leaders there have seem either bad or worse. And we're just not in a situation where we have to make those kind of decisions. So um, to get back to your question about helping, um, I think because the, the situation is so complex, I think part of being able to help is trying to understand it. You know, sometimes I'll um, hear like a two-sentence summary of something on NPR, uh, you know, some, a recent update to something that's happening there. And that's the first I've heard of it. And it, um, my whole impression is guided by those two sentences. And then later I'll sit down and read an article that gives me so much more perspective on, on what I heard earlier. And I don't think the person who wrote those two sentences or said them was trying to mislead me. I just didn't have the full picture. 
So I think encouraging people to really dig deep and view multiple sources, um, you know, so much of what's out there right now that people where people get their news is from social media. And that's just, it's just not a, um, a, um, it's not a source that can very often get you a very full picture. So kind of is looking that, past the post. Is that a, is that a role Federation plays locally? What I mean by that is if someone is interested in, in being better informed or more educated, could they call you at the Federation or call the Federation and say, would you point me to some reading materials? We Yes, we'd love to do, love to help be a resource for that. And our website, we try to um, provide links that'll be helpful. Um, and I'm staying up to date. Um, you know, every day get lots of emails from different organizations, different viewpoints. So really trying to stay on top of what's happening and how it's being perceived and how it's being reported. So in addition to better being better informed and, and trying to better understand what's happening? Are there other ways that you would recommend or suggest that people locally can help? Um, I think there's a lot of ways to, to help financially. I mean, when we're this far away, it's, it's, um, it's something that's a little bit easier than, than providing something material. Um, and some people get a little overwhelmed with, with knowing where to give, um, and so I would encourage people to think about the topics or the groups of people that they're passionate about or interested in and concerned for. And you can find an organization that works with that topic or with that population. And again, we, we try to be a resource to help people. Mike, give me an example of a specific topic or a specific group that... Sure. Like if you're concerned with LGBTQ rights, um, there's groups in Israel right now that work with those populations and, and can help. Or... Um, um, women who have um, experienced rape or other sexual trauma, supporting those groups. Um, maybe people who have arrived in the country from other places, so they're still getting acclimated and sort of absorbed into the population. They have some unique challenges with language, um, and some of them are coming from places like Ukraine or um, other parts of the Middle East, so kind of thinking about the issues that they might have and challenges. Great. All right, I'm going to shift you first, slightly shift. Um, so we've been hearing a lot in recent recent weeks and months about anti-Semitism on college campuses. My question is, can you help us better understand what's happening across the country and why some universities are allowing perhaps this type of sentiment and these types of demonstrations? Um, I'll try. Um, so... I think a lot of what we've heard has been since October 7th. And um, clearly in this country, there's a very high value placed on the right to um, free speech and expressing yourself and, um, and being able to criticize individuals, governments. Um, and so I think Israel's faced a lot of criticism since October 7th in the way it's responded. And... And that's a, that's a fair, um, it, it's fair for people to be able to express those opinions. Um, what I think has happened in some situations, especially on college campuses, which, where it's even more of a priority, um, is that criticism of Israel has crossed a line where instead of just criticizing the government or its actions, um, Jewish Americans or even all Jewish people are being held accountable and being blamed or, and there's, 
um, maybe actions, thoughts, or excuse me, language or actions that have been taken that make Jewish students not feel safe. And so um, everything I've seen recently from Jewish campus organizations um, has been that they're they're working to address it and they're working with administrations and and hopefully those those aren't being there aren't situations that are being allowed where somebody should be feel threatened or unsafe. But I think some of what we've seen in the news has been this result where somebody has maybe felt very strongly about against Israel or against Zionism, which is a whole other conversation and what that word can mean to different ages of people and different groups of people. Why don't you define Zionism just for people out there that are hearing that word for the first time? Sure. So um, sort of late 1800s, Zionism evolved as this belief that the Jewish people could have a, a country of their own. And this was after millennia of being persecuted all around the world. And um, by 1948, that became a political reality. Israel became a country. So at that point, um, Zionism was sort of reflected as support for the country of Israel. Um, I think more recently, um, kind of since the peace processes of the 90s have disintegrated and there's been more Israeli sort of government-sanctioned moves with, with settlement. People um, sometimes use the word Zionism to refer to the government's um, policies against oppressed group, um, including the Palest- some Palestinians. Um, and so, especially for a younger generation that has never not known that there's a country of Israel and has only known an Israeli government that they've disagreed with um, being anti-Zionist in that situation means something different than being anti-Zionist a hundred years ago where it was um, just a different reality. Did that make sense? Yeah, it does. And just, I understand as you're explaining what's going on on college campuses that we, we champion and, and privilege freedom of speech here in this country, maybe even more so on college campuses. Talk to me a little bit, I don't even know how to articulate this exactly, but also another explanation I've heard or additional explanation I've heard is just, you know, how this is kind of feeding into uh, the oppressor, oppressed um, dynamic. So can you talk, does my question make sense? And can you, I, I can you explain so. why some people may be, supporting uh, a side of this because they see one side as the oppressed and the other side as the oppressor. Sure. And, and it doesn't fit neatly into that. I mean, there, there, there is sort of that narrative and sort of a good guy and a bad guy, you know? Um, and as I mentioned before, you've got two groups of people who have, who have been oppressed and who have suffered from outside groups and also from each other. Um, and, um, I guess a, a part of this is that um, when you're passionate about supporting your, um, either because you're part of a group and you, and you want to, you're, you're, you're advocating for, for rights, um, there's phrases that can, can get developed and used. Um, and we see them 
we used to say we see them on bumper stickers. Now we see them on social media. You see them on signs at demonstrations. And, um, and I think sometimes I'll give an example. There's a phrase that, that, um, has been used that's from the river to the sea. And it's used by pro-Palestinian groups, and it's referring to the land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, which is where Israel is. And so the, the, um, the understanding that a lot of people have when they hear that phrase is that that land deserves to all be Palestine. But if that's the case, where do all the Jewish people go that are living there now? So it, it's, it gets perceived as a threat to Israel's right to exist. Um, and that's, I think, that, that's where some of these free speech issues on, on college campuses have come, because there's, there's slogans that get used without, I think, sometimes a lot of deep understanding about the implications of those phrases. Does the does the federation locally does the North Louisiana Jewish Federation have a stance in terms of this is this is where we would like for this to end up or this is how we would like for this situation to resolve itself? Not officially, not politically. Um, we're part of a national organization, um, Jewish Federations of North America. And the stance there is Israel has every right to defend itself. It has the right to exist. Um, we have a deep connection to that land and to its people, and we support them. Um, and we also have those ideals. You stated some of the values that are in our mission statement, those Jewish values that are about peace and about doing the right thing and about social justice. And so um, we, we see it all through that lens. Um, but but not with a a goal a stated objective with regard to a political outcome. And if just because I told you offline, I had this conversation this morning. So if someone said to you, you know, we would love for a permanent ceasefire, is that is that a desired outcome from the federal? I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot. No. And if that like is an uncomfortable answer, you can just say pass. But I think. In a, in a completely different context, we would think of a ceasefire in a situation with war to be a good thing because it would be the end of war. And I think right now, a lot of people, when they hear that word, especially families of hostages, they see it as giving up on getting their family members back. And so, um, you know, Hamas has had this stated objective to to get rid of Israel, and so and then had this attack on Israel, and so Israel's government, you know, not speaking to its uh, rightness or wrongness, is is defending itself and doing what it thinks it needs to do to still exist, to um, to not be threatened, and to and to recover those hostages. So um, I think we all want peace in the long run, but I think um, we're not there yet. And I think a lot of people um, with, from different perspectives um, don't see us being there anytime soon, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that's helpful and provides additional clarity for me. So... Um, I'm going to take you to another place and then we go back anywhere you want to go. But 
as you know, um, I'm on the advisory board for the LSUS Institute for Nonprofit Administration and Research, or INAR, as it's commonly known. Uh, you personally were recently one of 15 nonprofit leaders selected to participate in an important INAR initiative, which was its first capacity building cohort. Uh, second about INAR, INAR strives to elevate the future of the nonprofit sector through transformative education, impactful research, and professional development. So my question for you is, if you wouldn't mind, tell me about your recent, uh, it recently completed, tell me about your experience in the cohort and why it was an important initiative for you to be a part of. I um, actually entered the nonprofit sector right after I graduated from college. Um, I was in New Orleans, I worked for a nonprofit there, moved back here to Shreveport and was at three different nonprofits. Um, and really- Which were, just tell me what they were. Sure. Tell me where you worked in New Orleans, tell me what they I were. I was at the ACLU of Louisiana in New Orleans. I was um, here at the Volunteer Center which was then part of an organization called the Extra Mile. And then I was at North Louisiana Area Health Education Center. Um, I also did some work um, off and on, both as employee, but also volunteer at the Renzi Center, which was just starting around that time. Okay. Um, and so, um, you know, had some experience with the programming that some of those nonprofits did, with the, the kind of communication, with donors, some grant writing. Um, and, and then actually shifted gears a little bit, went into education. And then... Um, what were you doing education-wise? I taught middle school math okay. for Where? 16 years, the Montessori School for Shreveport. Okay. Um, so uh, as I took a step back from that, this opportunity with the Federation arose. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was born in this community, strongly identify with being Jewish. Um, so much of what the Federation does, I personally can get behind, I mean, everything, but, um, and, and really saw a lot of opportunities with the organization. So I was excited about taking the job and, and not long after I took the job, um, the president who was just entering her term as I was beginning this position and I were looking for some, um, sort of board training or some strategic planning. And we came across INR, um, on that search. So that was sort of my first introduction, and then I learned of the cohort. And the cohort seemed like a great way both to get some practical skills, but also to get back into um, sort of the local network, because I'd been out of it for a little while. So it seemed like a great way to meet people, but also get some, um, some technical things under my belt. And just so people know, the way it worked is there were 15 mentors, and they were each paired up with a mentee. So mm -hmm. it was really a network of 30 different nonprofits locally working together. Yes. And in, in addition to that relationship with the mentor, we had 13 workshops, each with a different topic, you know, mostly presented from different people um, on different topics like, you know, relationship with the board of directors, um, project management, uh, grant writing, um, the first one was really impactful for me on just different leadership styles, um, the financials that go into uh, a nonprofit. So, um, so those 13 workshops, in addition to getting the information from the presenter, were also a great way to interact with the other mentees in the cohort um, to learn from each other about what we were doing in those different areas as well. 
can you, can, you, can you share maybe two or three major takeaways just from the whole experience? Two or three, yeah. Or um, one or two, <laughs> or just, you know, just kind of epiphany moments or just, yeah, that was worth the last hour that I, I, I spent in that workshop or discussion. Um, the There was... There's always things to learn with technology. And so I think kind of hearing from everybody in the room about the different tools they were using was really helpful. Um, and then um, the the things about um, working with a board. I mean, it's a really unique structure. Um, the, the way a nonprofit is sort of mandated to, to run is very different from most the, the way most other um, businesses or schools or, you know, government facilities, like it's, it's pretty unique. And so really understanding more about that relationship between an executive director and a board and the way they support each other and the different roles that each have was, was really helpful. And I know you kind of said this, but I mean, being a part of a nonprofit or running a nonprofit, I should say, can be very isolating. And so I think, you know, having a, a sense of community and seeing that there are a, a number of individuals that you can call or text or email who are, who have dealt with similar issues or are dealing with similar issues was was probably invaluable as absolutely. well, right? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, so often in our own organization or in our own um, field, um, we, we're sort of siloed, you know, and this was a great way to get out of that and interact with other people and also see opportunities for partnership. So, you know, now I have these relationships with individuals at different organizations and I can, it's easy to call and think about ways we can um, work together on things. Yeah. Well, Barbara, those were my set questions or, you know, you're, you're involved in a lot. So are there other things federation wise or just Barbara Joseph wise <laughs> in this report Bozier community that you'd like to touch on we have all the time in the world so well I'd, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about what federation does and, or and, and how it evolved so there was jewish settlers european settlers in this area as far back as the 1820s 1830s so really when there began to be um european settlement here and not long after they were here um one of the very first things they needed to do was establish a cemetery. There are certain rules and rituals that go with, with burial. Um, and so even before there were synagogues, there was a burial association. And that is the precursor of the Federation. So as it evolved from that, it was also um, sort of an aid organization. So helping um, individuals, families with, um, with needs that they might have. Um, for a period of time, there was a social worker who was the executive director. And so there was very much um, this culture of kind of providing services that helped people um, in that way. And um, over the course of the 1900s, kind of as we were talking about Israel earlier and the the evolution of, of the Zionist movement, a lot of people saw federation as a way to connect with supporting Israel. And so um, it sort of became known in the 40s and 50s as an organization that you that pe members of the Jewish community could give money to, and then they would they would be able to pass it on to the entities in Israel doing the work there. Um, so so some people still very much have that lens that they see federation uh, that, that they associate with federation. 
Um, our, you mentioned our mission earlier. Our, uh, our board came up with a vision year before last that we wanted to provide social, educational, and philanthropic opportunities for current and future generations. And so um, recently there's there's been that emphasis on providing opportunities for people to gather, either just to get together. Um, and, and that's not limited to people who identify with being Jewish. It's also open to others who want to, to learn about um, aspects of Judaism. Um, and then social opportunities, educational things, um, kind of like that speaker we had. And then the, the philanthropic area kind of tied to that history with Federation as being a fundraising organization, um, but also tied to Sadaka, which um, your definition, I think, was social justice. Um, it also gets interpreted as um, charity, like as religious school students, you'd bring sadaka, and that's the money that you put in the box, and it goes to help somebody. Um, but it's um, it's also defined as righteousness or or fairness, and so it's it's really about um, seeing the areas of our society that where something needs to be righted, and doing what we can to to fix it. So um, all that to say that. I think, although our numbers are small, it's a very um, rich and active and vibrant community that aims to be very welcoming. And um, there's a, a Federation member who recently did a fundraiser for his birthday on Facebook for Federation. And I'd like to share what he wrote because it Please. was, um, it, it really meant a lot. One thing I really like about our local Jewish federation is that it tries to connect and involve all Jews, be they religious, secular, unaffiliated, very affiliated, LGBT, LGBT, LGBTQ, Jew by birth, or Jew by choice. It's nice to be able to bond at events regardless of one's affiliation or religiosity. It's nice to know there are others in an area with similar backgrounds or ideas. Our ways to connect involve education, special interest programs, and other friendly gatherings. It's nice to sometimes feel connected in a world full of constant disconnect. So that was really powerful and, and affirming, you know, that, that what we're doing affected this um, individual that way. Yeah, I love that. And I, I failed to mention, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I think you also run the religious school at B'nai Zion. I do. So um, the two congregations decided in the mid-'90s uh, to combine their religious school. So it's actually a combined congregational school, and it's um, housed at B'nai Zion, and I've been the education director there for about five years. And it's every Sunday? Most um, Sundays. Okay. Yeah, I came through it. I think you probably you probably came through a good epoch. I did. Okay. Yeah, and, and um, I think that, that sort of sub-community, that community of students and, and teachers is um, really important to to um, the families that are part of that. Um, but I've also come to realize there's a lot of, for a lot of people, that's not a way that they're going to connect with their Judaism. So with Federation, just trying to think about what are the other things we can offer to people where that religious school might not be what they're looking for. Anything else, Barbara? I think that we've talked about a lot. I appreciate the opportunity. No, I appreciate you being here. Federation's super lucky to have you here. So Thank you. I appreciate you making the time and appreciate all you're doing very much. Thank you. Absolutely.